Welcome to the Sit Stay Podcast. This episode is all about the Best Friends Animal Sanctuary in Kanab, Utah, where Julia recently spent 10 days. To learn more about Best Friends, visit bestfriends.org and its Facebook page. Also check out this book, The Power of Joy in Giving to Animals, by Linda Harper and Faith Maloney. Faith Maloney is a co-founder of Best Friends, and we chatted with her in a previous episode. Our guest in this show is Jonna DePire, another founder of the Best Friends Animal Sanctuary. I'm Brad Hill. And I'm Julia McClung. Hi, Julia. Hi, Brad. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. You're back from Utah and your annual pilgrimage to Best Friends. Mm, it's such a wonderful time. Mm-hmm. I, there's, I feel renewed and, you know... Happy to be back to around the people that I love and mm-hmm. sad to be away from the place that I love so much. Yeah. yeah. I need to give a shout out to Cindy Pierce. Okay. So my shout out to Cindy. Cindy is the one who made all of this possible. So Cindy Pierce, is she's been volunteering at Best Friends Animal Sanctuary for 10 years. Mm-hmm. 10 years. She's mm. gone at least one week, if not two or three weeks a year. And she lives here in North Carolina. She lives in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, she works. She actually interviewed me for my job oh. at my company. Mm-hmm. And we spent the first 15 minutes, because on my resume was Animal Kind, oh, the yeah. organization that, that we met through. Mm-hmm. And so she interviewed me about technology and uh, operations management for 15 minutes. And then she said, when she was satisfied, she said, okay, enough about that. Let's talk about animals. Mm -hmm. And so we spent the next 15 minutes. And part of the reason that I took the job is that I knew that my company had 40 hours a year of volunteer time off. And Cindy told me in my interview that she spends her 40 hours every year going to best friends. And I wanted to do that more than anything I could imagine. Mm -hmm. And it's, it was a deciding factor for me in in taking this job. Mm -hmm. So it was through her that I got the original lunch invitation to have lunch with Jonna DePire. And through that initial invitation, I developed sort of the conversation with their media department and asked for the mm-hmm. the interview time with Faith. Mm-hmm. And so I had a lovely interview which we've we've already published. Yeah, and the interview with Faith Maloney is up on our Facebook page and our SoundCloud page and it's in iTunes, of course. And um, so anybody who's listening to this podcast and hasn't heard the interview with Faith Maloney, it is a splendid interview. She's wonderful about speaking uh, about best friends and about the no-kill movement in the US and um, you interviewed her for the most part. I snuck in a question at the end, but <laughs> <laughs> it is a wonderful program. So definitely recommend it. Yes, after should, this one, you should I, go back. Or, to that or one. you should pause this one. Oh, maybe save it. Mm-hmm. Go back to listen to the first one. Also catch all the kibble in between, <laughs> and then listen to this one. Do okay. it in order. Do it the right way. <laughs> um, but it was it was wonderful. And and after that interview, Faith and I had a great lunch and got mm-hmm. to chat some more. And then a few days later, I had the interview with Jana. Mm-hmm. But big, big, big thanks to Cindy Pierce for starting that process and getting me the introductions I needed to do that. So, mm-hmm. And this episode contains your wonderful conversation with Jana DePire. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should listen to it right now. It sounds good to me. All right. Here it is. Mm-hmm. 
As part of our two-week series on Best Friends Animal Sanctuary in Kanab, Utah, I'm here with Jonna DePire, co-founder of Best Friends Animal Sanctuary, the largest no-kill sanctuary in the United States. Thank you for being here, Jonna. My pleasure. In Faith's interview, we focused on the social, political, and emotional aspects of the sanctuary, and today I'd like to focus more on the strategic side of Best Friends that's made it so successful. Jonna, tell me a little bit about your original role in the founding of Best Friends. Well, at the beginning, there were only three roles at the sanctuary. One was direct animal care. One was building because there was nothing here when we arrived. Mm -hmm. And the other one was fundraising. So my focus was on the fundraising side of things. Okay. And we were very unsophisticated. I have to say we really had no clue. So our fundraising efforts basically considered of sitting outside of grocery stores and health food stores with a little can and asking people for money. Humble beginnings here in Kanab or or other areas? Well, mainly other areas because we were not too successful at doing this in Kanab. Mm -hmm. Um, when we first started the sanctuary, we had uh, obviously payments on the property because we couldn't afford to buy it outright, but we did have a ranch in Arizona, and the payments of that we were getting from having sold the ranch in Arizona were paid tied to the payments here at the sanctuary. Oh, okay. So when we started, we thought we had everything taken care of because there was enough money from one to pay for the other. Then a couple of years in, there was one of our uh, financial crises in America, Mm -hmm. and he defaulted on the ranch, which was in Arizona. No. So we got the ranch back, which we did not want. Right. And had no sources of income at that point. So now when we talk to people about fundraising, we say, don't put your eggs in one basket, have lots of sources of income which we have learned the hard way. Mm -hmm. So after that point is when we all went out in pairs anywhere in a 24-hour drive of the sanctuary and set up in front of those little stores and asked people for money. So it was all over the West. We went to Arizona, Utah, Nevada, California, Washington, New Mexico, any place we could think of. Wow. Was it fun? Did you like that aspect of fundraising? It was not really a question of if it was fun or not. It was kind of essential. The way you you had to do what you had to do. We got to the point where at that point we had over a thousand animals and we had a commitment to them Mm -hmm. and we did what we had to do to make it survive. Things have changed a lot. Things have changed a lot. (sighs) We still do tabling at events, but uh, it's not for our main source of income. (laughs) Events like Strut Your Mutt and those kinds of, because those are nationwide events, aren't they? Yes, they started with raising money just for the sanctuary. The first one was up in Salt Lake City. Okay. And which is going on now for, gosh, I can't remember how many years. I think at least 15. so wow. and that was our, a big fundraising mm-hmm. event for us up there um, and then after several years of this going on and being successful we we started with our network partners and we wanted to create venues for them to be able to raise money as well 
And so we started spreading it out, and we held one in Los Angeles, a big okay. strut your mutt. Mm-hmm. And then it spread to New York when we have our New York programs. And then we started them in other cities. So now we have them live in 12 cities. And oh, that's incredible. Yeah, and the rest are virtual. Mm-hmm. So people can join. So can join. I've seen the campaigns online. Yeah. So tell, tell us a little bit about what Strut Your Mutt is for our listeners that don't know. It's basically a dog walk. Uh, you sponsor your friends to go on this dog walk, and they can either raise money for best friends or for one of the network partners. And then we help them set up fundraising pages, and they can go and raise money and then the day of the event people come they bring their dogs or i've seen one or two cats there i don't know how oh, happy really? yeah. probably not so happy probably neither one of them are so happy uh, not yeah. so happy but um the dogs have a walk and it's usually around a park or an area and then afterwards there's a festival and and fun things you know yoga for your dog and uh, booths and just all kinds of fun stuff so it's a really great event Oh, that is great. Do they have one in North Carolina? I'm trying to think if there's, I think there's a virtual one. Julia, you might be the first one to launch this. Really? I bet we could do it. (laughs) Brad? (laughs) If nothing else, you could do a virtual one. We could. And hold a party or something. That would be fun. You referred to the network partners. What what are network partners? Um, Network partners are animal rescue groups and municipal shelters who are focused on achieving a time of no more homeless pets. They want to get to a no-kill status for their organizations. They might not be there yet, but they're working towards it or they're already there. Mm -hmm. Um, And we help them in different ways through providing small financial grants that increase capacity. So it could be for adoptions or it could be for spay-neuter. We help them with adoption promotions. So we'll have a different one going every month. Mm -hmm. Um, We had one called Love is Special, which was for special needs animals, Um, single and loving it for animals who have to be the only animal in a household who are... Oh, that's a nice one. I like that. Yeah, and they're extremely hard because animal lovers usually have a couple in Mm -hmm. their household. So it's... It's rare to find somebody who doesn't already have an animal who's out to adopt. Right. And which makes those animals that have to be an only animal in a home more difficult. Right. Right. Ah, that's wonderful. So the mission of Best Friends is no more homeless pets. Why don't you just open, you guys have been so successful, why don't you just open sanctuaries all over the country? When we establish the sanctuary here, we have a lot of room. If you've never been here, it's huge, beautiful it property. So beautiful. We have 3,700 acres, and we could build uh, facilities here for animals from here all through that property, but that would not achieve the goal of no more homeless pets. Mm-hmm. So we set ourselves up pretty much from the beginning as a model which said if people like us with no background really in running shelters or animal welfare could do something like this, then you can do this in your own community. So a model setting up great ways of doing it, creating, doing creative programs. And I think because we started outside the animal welfare community, we didn't have any ideas of how it should be done. Mm-hmm. And so we just did what made sense to us, which 
probably went against the grain for <laughs> most things, <laughs> but it worked. It's great. Uh, it certainly is successful. Um, and it's one of my favorite places. It may be my favorite place on earth, actually. Um, well, thank you, Julia. Yeah, it really, I'm, I mean that. I spend 365 days a year waiting to get back here. It's interesting you bring that up because the atmosphere here is very much a part of what we do right from the beginning. And I think anyone who does any rescue work knows how depressing and disheartening mm -hmm. this kind of work can be. You see things you wish you didn't see and things you don't want to remember. And from the very beginning, we obviously all saw that, but felt like we didn't want to dwell on it, that mm -hmm. the way through that was positivity. And to concentrate on the victories that we could achieve and not worry about the rest of it. Right. And that comes through. It's, it's, we, I talked about that with Faith a little bit as well. The, there's no shock value. No one use no one at Best Friends ever uses shock value. There's no there's no emotional manipulation. There is positivity and joy and triumph and all of those things that that keep you coming back and never make you feel manipulated or guilty. It doesn't play on any of those emotions in us. It plays on all the good parts in us and that's that makes it a very special place. And the you know, the other parts it's just not worth the time right. spending time on them. I agree. I agree. So in town, I keep seeing signs for Best Friends Kids Camp. What is that? And how does it work toward the mission? Well, we started that three years ago because um, in the beginning, we had kids come and volunteer any age, any area, and... As we grew and had more animals and a, and a lot of special needs animals, uh, we started worrying about somebody getting hurt. Mm -hmm. So we started putting limitations on ages when kids could volunteer here, which was difficult for their parents who wanted to bring the kids and give them an experience with right. the animals mm -hmm. and wanted to volunteer themselves. So we started Kids Camp as a way of children who are too young to volunteer in some of the animal areas. Mm -hmm. So from six to nine, we run it all summer till the mid-August when they go back to school. Oh. And they're there all morning. We have camp counselors and the kids, while the parents are volunteering, the kids can go to camp and get that experience of the animals without the risks of them, something terrible happening. Oh, that's terrific. I really didn't realize what that was. So the, the parents get to do real volunteer experience. Yes. That's excellent. Yeah. So they can be more than just tourists here. They can really get involved. Everybody can get involved. Yes. And that's for the mornings. Mm -hmm. So in the mornings, they the kids are in camp and the parents are volunteering. And then in the afternoons, um, you know, they can go off and do the many fun things that you can do here. Right. There are many fun things. I never get to do any of them. Every time I come, I say, okay, this time... This time, I'm going to take off the afternoon shift, and I'm going to go to one of the parks. And I never do it. I always pick up another shift. I missed a flight once because... <laughs> <laughs> but, Julia, I can tell you how you can do it. This time of year, the shifts end around 4 or 4.30. It doesn't get dark here until 9 p.m. That's true. You can go right after your shift and drive over to Zion. It's only half an hour to the entryway to Zion National Park. 
and you can spend time in the park. Can I take a sleepover dog? I, don't, I haven't talked about sleepover really, sleepovers, really. So that's what I almost always have a sleepover with me. Uh, I know there are restrictions in national parks yeah. about dogs. I think in Zion there's one area where you can walk them. You couldn't hike all over the park, mm-hmm. but I think there is one place where you can take a dog and take him out for a walk and still be in the park. Okay. But the best thing is to call the park and, and just ask make them. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll do that. Maybe you can do both. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. And um, there are a lot of restaurants over in Springdale, which is on the other side of Zion. Okay. That have outside places you can eat. So it's possible. Okay. I might try that. We might. We'll see if I've got a patio dining dog tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and just so you asked about the sleepover dogs mm-hmm. and what they are, so your audience will know. Yes. That when you come to the sanctuary, you can take one of our dogs home for the night, either a dog or a cat, uh, and or a bunny. Oh, you can take bunnies now. Is we. That- we, I know people have. Uh-huh. You have to check and make sure on the, the particular bunnies. Mm-hmm. We used to do um, sleepover pigs, potbelly pigs. Oh. But we discovered... I can imagine most of the hotels, are, they, they need to stay. And that's another thing we didn't talk about. You have on-site premises for volunteers to stay where some of the, the animals can stay with them as well. Yes. We have eight cottages and four cabins. hmm and about 30,000 visitors a year. So if you want to stay really? on... Yeah, if you want to stay in one of those cottages, you need to book it way in advance. Mm-hmm. Except if you love cold weather and snow, January and February, you can usually I can find imagine. an opening. <laughs> well, I already... I book my hotel a year in advance. Uh-huh. So I could always book the cottages. I haven't... I hadn't ever tried to stay at the cottages, but... Oh, you should go for it. They're I should. wonderful. It borders, the cottages border on the horse field, mm-hmm. so you can get up in the morning and see the horses out there, mm-hmm. and it's so peaceful. You would love it. Oh, okay. I'm doing that next time. Okay. Okay. I, I promise. So, Jonna, can America become a no-kill nation, and what can communities do, basic things can they do to help, help move us in that direction? Yes, we can. Um there are already, I believe it's 234 communities in America that are no-kill. That's great. And we have a goal within the next 20 years to achieve a no-kill nation. I'm goosebumpy. And what, That's a short period of time. It is. I mean, that's, that's an aggressive goal. I like that goal. Well, when we started, we said it would be within our lifetimes, and if it's not in the next 20 years, we're out of luck, so it's got to be in that. <laughs> okay, okay, good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, and the second part of your question is what can people do to get there? Yes. It's it's act locally. Mm-hmm. We all have to act locally. Um, we're a national group, but we also need to reach out to people wherever we are. Um, in that community and start you start small mm-hmm. start in your community to whatever is needed we run um, workshops here at which faith and i host of how to start and run an animal sanctuary and we oh. do that three times a year okay and they we started doing that in 1998 when we knew quite a bit less than we know mm-hmm. now 
and um, they're still full. We have people coming from all over the country, usually a few from Canada. We've had people from um, South Africa, from India, from all over the world who come, who really want to make a difference where they live. Oh, that's so it's it's national. It's not just what can America do. I mean, we can become maybe not maybe not within the original timeline, but we can get no kill in a lot of places in the world. I think our focus is on the US mm-hmm. and let's do it here first. Yeah. And then we can get under our belt how you do it. Um, meeting all kinds of obstacles, different, you know, however bad it is in America for the animals, it's much worse. Yes. In most mm-hmm. other countries. There are a few that are stellar, but the majority of the world, the animals really get short shrift. So yeah. let's focus here first and making it happen, and then we can spread out from there. I love it. So, Best Friends, the sanctuary is a model for the United States that helps the United States become a model for the rest of the world. Yes. We always, though, have things to learn. There are other countries that do some things extremely well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's not to be too U.S.-centered on mm-hmm. this thing. I mean, it's great, but we always can learn new things. Well, and that's, I'm actually, so this the, the next question speaks to this as well because I think it's one thing that that best friends does does better than any place I've ever seen you live and work in a sanctuary where there is probably near 100% alignment on animal welfare issues but clearly that is not always the case outside of the sanctuary how have the founders been so successful at maintaining their strong convictions while not alienating individuals and other groups with differing opinions well, we had a lot of practice within the founding group mm-hmm. because we don't agree on everything. Uh, so, And we have a lot of people with strong opinions. So we had a lot of practice at learning how to put our personal opinions aside and concentrate on the mission. Mm-hmm. That has been key throughout time. So when we go to other organizations... Um, we can we know what it takes to make that happen, and uh, hopefully we can help them on that. So, one of the things that strikes me when I'm here, and and you just brought it up again, saying not to be too America focused, is the humility. I think that all of the founders at Best Friends have. You said we were winging it. We didn't we didn't know what we were doing, and being willing to learn. Uh, and, and Barbara, who actually generously helped arrange all of this, mentioned that everybody sort of checks their ego at the door. It's not that you don't have egos. It's not that you don't have strong opinions. But everybody is working towards this common goal and, and the humility with which you approach that. I know Faith told the story about tarantulas, rescu- rescuing tarantulas from Katrina yes. <laughs> and horrified that they were in tubes yes. and then finding out, oh, they're supposed to be in tubes. That's really, they want to be in tubes. Um, and that's that's such a great thing that you can, the humility and the way that you educate without judgment. Well, good. I mean, I think if we're not constantly learning, then we're constantly declining. You know, you've got to keep the thing moving forward and there's so much to learn mm-hmm. can always be better oh, it can, can always be better you know we look at stuff we thought we were pretty special 
years ago. And looking back on now, it's really embarrassing because we really didn't know half of what we know now. <laughs> well, that's not embarrassing. That's terrific. The fact that you can look back and say, wow, we were we were missing it that time. But yeah, we're good at that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> So, Jonna, what is your hope for Best Friends Legacy for Animal Welfare in the U.S.? I think one thing we haven't talked about is in order to achieve no-kill, it's not just a question of the programs that you put in place. It's changing hearts and minds. And I think that's core for what Best Friends is about, is seeing the need for social change, um, seeing the need for animals being viewed in a different way mm-hmm. um, and all life having value. So those are societal changes as opposed to organizational changes. And that really is at the core of who we are and what we try and achieve. Because if you can change hearts and minds, the rest follows of behavior and what people will find acceptable and not acceptable. Right. So we started with a very strong belief in what was acceptable. And um, I think the rest, the rest of the country is kind of following along with that, the, the main big change. And I think that really is our legacy. I think it's wonderful. You've changed my heart and mind. Yay! It was... (laughs) (laughs) So Jonna, one last question. I thank you so much for, for talking to us. What about the sanctuary do you most want people to know? Uh, People who look at the website, they read the magazine, they say, that must be a really nice place. We had somebody from a humane education organization come and visit, and he said, I just want to stop in briefly and see your facility. So people have no clue about the breadth, the size the impact that this place has and really you have to come here to experience it because try as we may have and we have through the years to show people what it's like it's something you just have to experience Mm -hmm. for yourself when people think of a sanctuary they probably have a picture in their head of a shelter with little runs and scared animals and you know a place they really are not that interested in going So you have to be here to experience the peace, the happiness, happy animals playing, Mm -hmm. things going on that are joyful. You have to be here to experience that. So I would love everybody to come who loves animals and experience it for themselves. I agree. There there is no place like this on earth. You just you you can't imagine. Thank you, Jonna. I really appreciate you taking the time today to talk to us. And thank you, Julia, for coming and volunteering. Oh, it is truly my pleasure. (laughs) Good job with that interview. That was so interesting to hear Jonna talk. Thank you. I thought it was, too. Um, She's fascinating, and it's such a fascinating story. Mm Mm-hmm. I enjoyed and and again I enjoyed my lunch with her after the interview. So ah, we got to yeah. all the behind the scenes stuff. Oh, did, did my name come up at all? I see. I think no. it was something about <laughs> <laughs> I was listening 
as best I could. It was a, the interview was scheduled at a, a time of day that was very difficult for me. So I was Skyped in, but couldn't participate and had to keep the volume pretty low. Well, and we couldn't hear you because, of course, I couldn't mm-hmm. make the mic work. So well, you were recording in other software, so we couldn't do the both at once. I was chatting at you occasionally. But, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were giving us sort of dictatorial <laughs> instructions like on stop how to <laughs> tapping on the table. <laughs> Brad's keeping us in line. (laughs) No, it was good. We felt your presence. And um, uh, Jonna hadn't given an interview in a long time, I think. No, she hadn't. Mm -hmm. It it had been quite a while. And she said, just to brag on us a little bit, (laughs) we we get that a lot, that it's a comfortable interview experience Mm, and people enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but I'm grateful. I'm so grateful to her for mm-hmm. agreeing to come on our show. Yeah. She doesn't agree very often, I think. No, I, I think she doesn't. It's probably but because she did it's... a great job. Oh, she yes. wasn't. Oh, she... no. Listening to them talk about it, there's so much experience. The depth of experience and context is uh, wonderful to listen to. Yeah, it is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing because Julia was telling me during a break she wanted to stop using or slow down her use of the word wonderful. I get stuck. It's just... It's a wonderful word. It's a wonderful word, but I get stuck. (laughs) I want to tell you an interesting thing. So I ordered Faith's book, Mm -hmm. The Power of Joy in Giving to Animals. Yes. And it came right after... In fact, I think it came the day that I was flying back from Utah. And I've just started reading it. And the first chapter is about faith. And there is something about faith that I bet nobody would guess. And I don't know if she shared it in places outside Mm -hmm. of this book, Uh But the secret is, is that as a child, Faith was terrified of dogs. Oh, so was I. And she had, yeah, is that, mm-hmm. I mean, and it took her. I didn't mean to swing the conversation over years. to me. Years. <laughs> <laughs> but tell, so continue with Faith. It took her years to get past that. And it was uh-huh. a rescue dog. Her mother was uh, heavily into rescue and animal welfare. And it was a rescue dog that sort of turned her around. And so it became something that she over time developed passion for and mm-hmm. understanding of, but yeah. yeah, she was really afraid of them. Mm-hmm. And to go from being afraid of dogs mm-hmm. to becoming the head of animal control for a wild west town <laughs> in the middle of Utah, mm-hmm. getting every scooping up, with unfettered bravery, mm-hmm. every feral, abused, mm-hmm. injured, sick dog that within hundreds of square miles, mm-hmm. that transformation is extraordinary yeah. to me. Were but you ever scared of dogs as a kid? No, I wasn't. No, I was I, never. I was. I, when I, I was, was really bitten. young, I, th- I was rushed by a dog, I think. Maybe nipped. I don't know. But I was really afraid of them. And so when I was six, my parents surprised me with uh, a rescue, a mm-hmm. dog, uh, a mutt named Sandy, who lived to be about 18 years old. Oh. oh, I adored Sandy so much. I remember when I was still young, maybe 12, I don't remember exactly how old, and I was sitting on the floor, Sandy right next to me, and just gazing at him and bursting with this feeling of love and affection and thinking, oh, this then is what love is. And my, my conscious realization, first conscious realization of love, was gazing at my dog, Sandy. That's a beautiful story. Mm. 
And I know that feeling yes. very, very, very well. <laughs> it's yes. amazing, the affinity for dogs. Sometimes I'll be with Nellie or Bing and think we're so different and so close to each other. So close. And it's the, I mean, it's such a unique species relationship. Yes. Um, I never, yeah, I was never afraid of dogs. When I was little, we had essentially a feral dog, oh. big, a big mm-hmm. German, like a shepherd hound dog named mm-hmm. T-Bone. Mm-hmm. We lived out in the country in Mississippi. and Who and named him T-Bone? I did. Oh. I was, a, I guess, three, maybe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you said... Yeah, they asked what I wanted to call him, and I said T-Bone, and so T-Bone was T-Bone. So we always had, we had this big, feral dog Mm -hmm. that, I mean, he wouldn't come in the house, um, and mm -hmm. he he pretty much ran free, Mm. but he would let us get close to him and pet him. He he Mm -hmm. liked affection, but he wasn't going to be, he wasn't going to be a house dog, Uh or really owned in any way and he would disappear for days at a time and uh-huh. he was a big formidable i mean yeah. he would take down deer he was yeah. he was a big dog wow. this is old time dog ownership. yeah this is old time dog. yeah were you this living is in not... raleigh no no we oh. were in way out in the country of mississippi oh mississippi yeah stuff. we were yeah. way out mm-hmm. and when our other dog we had a, a stray wandered up our driveway this uh-huh. bedraggled little little white fluffy dog wandered uh-huh. up our driveway and we took her in. How old were you then? I was, it was around the same age. So oh. this was, we were, I guess we left that house when I was maybe four. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lily... Taking T-Bone with you? No, we couldn't take T-Bone. Oh. So we had we had neighbors who agreed to... Oh. Mm-hmm. watch over To him. watch, yeah, <laughs> to sort of take on T-Bone, which didn't, didn't require a lot of maintenance because T-Bone wasn't, he just wanted... An occasional scratch behind the ear and a bowl uh-huh. of food now and then. He was fairly self-sufficient. Uh-huh. But Lily was a different story. Lily um, arrived one night in a, I guess I'm going to say it was in a storm because that's dramatic. I can't remember what the, the <laughs> weather was. But she was very sick and very small. And we couldn't, she was clearly someone's dog. And we couldn't figure out who, where she came from. But we were mm-hmm. near a highway and maybe she got out at a rest area. But so here she was. And she was pregnant, and unfortunately, she was pregnant with puppies that were fathered by something much, much, much larger than her, so none of the puppies survived. Uh-huh. And she almost didn't survive uh-huh. the, the surgery mm-hmm. to, to remove the puppies. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did stay with us, so she was a house dog. She and T-Bone mm-hmm. got along, but she was just a little bitty thing. She was about... I don't know. So she was a little thing, and T-Bone was a big dog. And they would, that huge field of grass, and you would see T-Bone leaping over the grass, mm. leaping his whole body coming mm-hmm. out like a deer over the grass. Mm. And then behind him, you would see the grass move as <laughs> Lily was trying to keep up with T-Bone. It was just oh, like that's... this invisible force moving yeah. patches of grass. <laughs> but they they loved each other, and, and Lily was a house dog. So Lily stayed mm-hmm. with us until um, oh, God, she lived to be almost 20 oh my gosh um what yeah. a sweet companionship yeah lillian and t-bone, and t-bone. Yeah. but so that didn't last long because then you moved we did move mm-hmm. yeah you know bing's four years younger than nelly and came in as a puppy to this household and adored nelly from the very start and respected her as a leader and she took on that role very easily she's <laughs> she's born a, leader yeah she's not subordinate to any dog and oh i remember you know, we have this big backyard, and it's half lawn and half woods in, mm-hmm. the, in the back, and the whole thing is fenced. So it's great for the dogs. And um, Nellie would 
go at first when Bing came into the household, he wouldn't go into the woods. It was as if there were a barrier there. He was afraid of the woods. And Nellie would go racing into the woods to chase away imaginary threats to the household, <laughs> as she does. And Bing would watch from our deck, which overlooks the backyard. And then she'd come gliding back at night, you know, black on black would come gliding back. And Bing, you could see, he was awestruck by this and she'd come up the steps and he a small dog at this time would leap up to her to greet her and try and lick her face and she the born dog leader would have you know she'd lift her chin up the aloof leader (laughs) accepting his praise and worship but not acknowledging it Oh, Nellie. And uh, well that's what they do. She's like okay rub my belly. (laughs) That's what they do. And um and so she's been his boss this whole time. Look at look, look at her at the now. Boss. <laughs> look at the boss. <laughs> she is lying. That is not lying on the floor next to our production <laughs> desk, legs splayed in the air, a little tooth hanging out. She's got her lips falling back a little bit, an ear folded back. Nellie, this is not. You're no Mal right now. <laughs> well, maybe it's time to bring this episode to an end. Sadly. So you just did it. At that time, I did. <laughs> that was more of an intentional one, though. Okay, try again. All right. Well, with that, maybe we should bring this episode to an end. Sad. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> this is another performance okay. note. <laughs> We were talking about how Julia and I... I'm explaining this in case we actually decide to post this ridiculous stretch of podcast about how natural it is and unconscious for many people in broadcasting and public speaking and in other venues to go before they say something. It's only... Yeah, it's not in the chat. It's only when I'm planning to say something. That's it. I got it. That's it. So, maybe we should bring this episode to an end. Sadly, probably so. <laughs> I did it. You did it. It until, was hard. <laughs> until next time, then. Goodbye, Julia. Goodbye, Brad. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit bestfriends.org to learn more about how to volunteer, donate, and adopt. Find them on Facebook to get a daily dose of adorable. And definitely read Best Friends, The True Story of the World's Most Beloved Animal Sanctuary to learn more about the sanctuary's amazing genesis. And also, you can learn how to find your own joy in the power of joy in giving to animals, both available on Amazon.